think it's a huge shame if see each other as competition instead of a community when actually if we empower ourselves we get to empower everyone else as well i believe in you proudly supported by rah mcdonald's hello and welcome to i believe in you the podcast about achieving your goals and the journey which takes us there i'm lizelle hartley a business and personal mentor And with me is Annie Hill, entrepreneur and business owner. Have you ever wanted to try origami but don't know where to start? The Japanese art of paper folding has been linked to mental health benefits over the years, including the reduction of stress and anxiety, especially in children. Carissa Wu is the owner of Jotter Box Flowers. Carissa Wu is the owner of Jotter Book Flowers, Perth's original crepe paper flower studio and she offers unique gifts and creative experiences around paper folding. Carissa, it's a great honour for Annie and myself to interview you today on the podcast. I must say, when I first found you, I thought, who makes a business of this? And now I'm so invested into this business of you. Can you share with our listeners what do you do? Yeah, thanks, Lizelle and Annie, and thank you for having me. Our Jotter Book Flowers is home to Perth's original crepe paper flower workshops. And it is an extremely unusual and random thing to build a business around. But my goal is to help busy people who are burnt out relax and reignite their creative spark that they might have lost through life. I've chosen the craft of paper flowers because it is so beginner friendly. It's so accessible. Literally anyone can do it. And the results are stunning. Um, you might have seen the photos online of the flowers that people who have come to workshops have made. And they are so realistic. They're so close to nature. They bring so much beauty and they last forever. So I just love watching the magic that happens when someone who believes maybe they're not as creative as they thought they were touches the paper, comes to a workshop, and then realizes that they do have an inner artist inside of them that's just there waiting for her time to come through. I absolutely love that you didn't come here and tell me you create paper flowers. You come here and share with us that you create a place where people can take time out, de-stress, and be a little bit creative. Yeah, that's what it's all about. That's something I've had the experience for myself my whole life. I think growing up as a shy, awkward bit of a socially anxious child, going to arts and crafts classes and making things with friends and drawing pictures and telling stories. That's how I built relationships and that's how I grew more comfortable in my own skin. So I think everyone deserves to have a chance to experience that in a safe way for themselves. And very cost effective, I imagine. Like I have taken up all sorts of things in my creative pursuit, which I'm still endeavouring to find, but lead lighting and welding and woodwork, tools and things like that can be incredibly specialised and expensive. What do you need to do this craft? Yes, I think every avid crafter will know that when you get into something, you invest and you buy all the materials. With the crepe paper, what you really just need is good quality crepe paper, The one that I use is manufactured in Italy and I actually buy it from a wholesaler in New South Wales. And then other than that, that, all you need is a pair of scissors, a hot glue gun or some PVA glue and your imagination. So it's really simple and easy to get into. Well, you walk in here today with this amazing flower that's honestly an art piece. 
that I cannot even imagine that you can make that out of paper. Obviously, through the years, you had become very good in making flowers. But tell us, where did this come from? Where did you get this idea, I'm going to make paper flowers? It all started when I was meeting my husband's family for the first time. Back then, I was 19 and we had been dating for three months. So I, we were getting to know each other. But his sister invited us to her wedding in Melbourne. And that was pre-COVID, so the whole family was there, the aunties, the uncles, the cousins. And I felt so overwhelmed meeting everyone all at once for the first time. I hadn't met his parents before or any of his family. And so my first instinct was to just hide in a room and not come out. I was so nervous to talk to everyone. But they were extremely kind and welcomed me to come out and have conversations with them. And that's when I saw his sisters making paper roses in the corner of the living room. And I thought, that looks really interesting. And that looks safe for me. That looks like something I'd rather do than sit around and stare at people and try to make small talk. So I asked if I could join them. And of course, they happily um, taught me how to create the flowers. And before I knew it, the whole family was making flowers together, chatting, laughing. And we saw how each person's creations were all unique. We were doing the same thing with the same materials, but they all turned out so beautifully different. And from then I was hooked. I just thought there are so many paper, there are so many kinds of flowers in the world. Why stop at roses? Why not look at Australian native flowers? Why not look at flowers from my home uh, in Singapore and use this craft to tell those stories and allow people to come together and be creative? And this side-by-side play, it's actually recognised therapy. Um, I'm part of a, a charity called 12 Buckets, which does Lego play as a therapy. And it is that sitting next to each other and manipulating and talking and being able to recognise the differences and similarities when you're creating something side by side is very, very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. It's like seeing that we're all different, but we are connected in some way. And there's nothing like the power of arts and crafts to really bring that out, especially if you're in a room full of people you might not be so comfortable with or you might not know very well. It's a vessel for those relationships to happen. That's beautiful set and that's a good way of bringing that connection together. You were in this room making roses. I presume that was for the wedding that I made it. That still wasn't your business. What happened from there onwards? My dad is a businessman and he always talked to us when we were younger saying that it's different when you're trading time for money versus you're making your money work for you and tried to expose us to these ideas that getting a job and a career, that's really great, but it's not the only way to make a living. So growing up around that concept, I always kind of thought that I would love to have a little business I could call my own where I could create things and share that with people. But of course, I didn't know what that was going to look like. When I got back to Perth after that wedding, there were a few occasions where I invited friends over to make paper flowers with me. We sold them for fundraising. We used them to decorate things. Um, and from there, the idea kind of grew. I applied for a market and did a few workshops on my own while I was in uni just to try things out. But then I went on to study art therapy, actually, like Annie was talking about, because I wanted to see how art could practically help people. But this is where there's a bit of a hump on the road because I graduated and I couldn't find work 
as a counselor or an art therapist. So I did some volunteer work in a school and that's where I met someone who worked at Crown Perth as a responsible gaming advisor. And she said to me, oh, you know, I think you'd be really good for the job. It kind of applies counselling, but that's not really the role and it might be a good introduction to the, the industry. And so that was my first job. I worked full time at Crown Perth for three years, chatting with people who were having problems with their gambling and their families. But that's where I kind of lost that vision for a little bit. I was so involved in just the corporate world, the day-to-day life that I, I actually forgot that, you know, a couple of years ago, I wanted to start a business and do something more creative. So then where did you make the decision to actually take this to a full-time business? It was like a lot of people during COVID because we got stood down from our jobs. So I was still getting paid, but I was able to be at home. And that's when I kind of realized, oh my goodness, I've built my whole identity around this job that I kind of fell into without really realizing it. What do I like actually? What am I really here for? And I started to make paper flowers again, just for fun. I think my friend was getting married and she asked for a little wedding bouquet. So I made that for her. Someone else saw it and asked me to create something else for a friend of hers. And I opened an Etsy store and just put some pictures online. And then orders started to come in first from family and friends and then from people I didn't know from interstate and even overseas. And so I realized that actually this could be a living And so I very naively quit my job at the end of that year and rented a studio space for $800 a month and just got stuck in. That's amazing. And this is what Lizelle is often finding with her clients that we talk about is that it starts as a side hustle. But how did you really make, other than the very brave move of quitting your job, how did you really turn this hobby into a viable business? That is such a good question. And Lizelle, as a mentor, I think think this business journey has shown me the importance of having a mentor, of having someone who can see the bigger picture, who can give you guidance and even give you shortcuts. Because that first year after I quit my job was the hardest few months ever. I knew nothing about sales. I knew nothing about business, nothing about finance. And honestly, I struggled. I I went, I booked into all these courses and talked to all these people, but none of them really understood what I was trying to do. I think a lot of people saw what I did and thought, why are you just doing this one thing? Why don't you do all kinds of craft classes or do painting or something that's more relatable, more common? But I just knew in my heart that it had to be paper flowers and I was going to make it happen no matter what. But it wasn't until my friend stepped in, he saw me struggling and he said, let me just sit down with you a couple of times and help you to flesh out what's your offer, what are you pricing, what are your costs, what value do you provide to people, and then focus on selling that, making it sustainable, and then you can branch out to other things. And that changed the game for me. Just having someone who believed that it was possible to build a business model around this and who was able to help me with that confidence saying, no, you're not overcharging, you need to charge that if you want to sustain yourself and do this for the years to come. So ever since he helped me, I've had other coaches as well, just people who have brought me to the next level and the next level again and again and again, because I can't do it on my own. I love the art. I love the creativity. I am not good with numbers, not good with marketing. So having someone to help me is 
was the key to that. So that was your startup struggle, your first year. How many years do you have your business now for? Jollibook Flowers is in its third year, which is really exciting. I never thought it would last this long. Uh, but the, the first year was really just setting up the basics, uh, figuring out my brand and um, who I was here to serve. The second year was when workshops really took off. I gained a lot of momentum. I started doing workshops in my studio and at markets. And then now I have workshops at libraries and shopping centers. And then I started to get some requests to make big flowers, big giant flowers that magnify all the beautiful tiny details you see in nature. So... Uh, a friend and I just worked with Bunbury Fringe Festival to create a massive dome that people could sit in on sofas and enjoy the big paper flowers and the big paintings all together. So I would love to create more of that, more of those immersive experiences to take photos with, to enjoy as a visual treat. I would love to rent these out to weddings or events so that everyone can experience a little bit of magic in their everyday. Where did the name come from? Yes, it's such a funny name. Jota books are something that if you grew up in Singapore or Malaysia, you would know what they are. So they're a specific type of notebook and they have very thin pages and they're all blank. So there's no lines or squares on them or anything. And they're called Jota books. And so growing up, I would buy these. They were 20 cents from my bookshop. And because they were so thin, I could slide them into my textbooks in class and then smuggle them into the classroom and just sit there doodling instead of actually studying. So I have in my home tons of these just filled with all these doodles and notes with my friends from my years in school. And to me, they just represent the simplicity of paper, the simplicity of just an idea and how much fun that can bring to people. That's the best story. Yeah, that is absolutely great because what you actually done with the name, you say to somebody, come, come and jot a book with me. Come and break away from the busy world, everything around you, and come and create something you love to do. Even with the world carry on, chaos around it outside there, but you can do this and be proud of what you do and enjoy it. Yeah, I love that. I love the word using jot a book as a as an action word. <laughs> How big is the team now? How many workers do you have that work with you? The first person I ever hired was a virtual assistant in the Philippines. Her name is Roselle. And she's been with me for seven months. She helps me with all the admin stuff. I have another VA. Her name is Jack, who helps me on Instagram, just engaging with people, making sure all my comments are replied to because I'm really bad at that. And then I also have the pleasure of working with my mom, who has been my number one support ever since I was small. So she is hyper-organized. You give her something, she'll get it done 100% of the time. So she helps me with my workshops, um, looking after the food, serving people, setting things up. I also have another friend. Her name is Eileen, who works with me also with the workshops, but she also helps me to create the flowers as well. So in total, we are five women, including myself. That's amazing that you can think that you just start making paper flowers and now you're a team of five in the business. Yeah, it's a bit unbelievable. Everyone does quite short hours for me because obviously as a startup, I still have to look after the income and expenditure every month, make sure we're not overspending. So all of them have other jobs and things they do as well, but they, they help me a couple of times a month. Is there any art therapy in your workshops? What does your workshops look like? Uh, Annie, we must still go and do a workshop with Absolutely. her. Absolutely. I would love to have you guys there, yeah. <laughs> um, 
the workshop starts with you choosing your favorite flower from what I have available. So we switch the flowers up depending on the season. They reflect what's going on in our world. And the beautiful thing about flowers is that each of them have their own meanings as well. For example, the sunflower symbolizes optimism and loyalty, whereas uh, the orchids can represent luxury and um, and beauty. So it starts with you choosing which one you'd like to learn, which one resonates with you right now. And then you get all the information in an email. Um, but once the day comes, you drive to this building called Stackwood in Fremantle, where my studio is. You find parking that's free and ample underneath these beautiful leafy streets. You walk in and you find your seat in my cozy, colorful studio. There's It's it's a really soft pink on the walls that's got big flowers painted. And I'm there with a drink for you, as well as all the materials set out and ready for you to create. The first few minutes might start a little bit clunky because maybe you haven't used crepe paper before, you're not sure how it works. Maybe it's been a long time since you tried something creative, but you slowly ease into things that it's quite repetitive and mindful. So you can just let your hands work while your mind um, relaxes or you're chatting with someone next to you. After you've gotten into things for a little while, we'll have a break. So you get to choose whatever coffee or tea you'd like from the cafe. That's a cafe that does really good drinks. And then depending on what kind of workshop it is, I've got fresh fruit and baked goods and beautiful food for you to enjoy. So we normally sit outside in the sun if it's a nice day. And then we come back, finish our creations, and you get to take it home along with a gift and a beautiful printed Polaroid photo of you there to commemorate it. And how many boys do this workshop? I have a, a few husbands and boyfriends who get roped in. Um, it's often the girl's birthday or it's Christmas or Valentine's Day or something. So they very obligingly sit there and make the flowers and they can start off being a bit, oh, you know, I'll just, I'm just here for her. But by the end, they're quite proud of their creation. So that's nice to see. So how many people do you have in a workshop at a time? I try to keep it to a small intimate group of a maximum of eight people. I think that size allows best for conversations to happen and for people, even if they're quieter, to just feel comfortable. Sometimes I do workshops at libraries where there's a bigger space, so it can go up to 25 people. So... If there's eight people, do they, you allow them to make eight different flowers? Oh, normally it's just one flower. Oh, as in eight different flowers. Yeah, no, we, not, we, we all come there to learn the one okay, technique. Yeah, but sometimes you can choose your own colors and things yeah. as well. Because looking at your flower here on the table and listening how you explain the whole process, there's a lot of detail in it. Even where you sit in the colors of the studio, the chairs and things. So I was wondering if there's a group of eight, how do you get to show them all the different flowers? So you, you pick one flower and that's the flower of the session. Yes. So you might choose a sunflower workshop and that's the one flower that, that we create. So we start from the small details in the center, then we work on the petals and the leaves and then it all comes together. We wrap it up, spray it so the colors don't fade away and send you home with a created artwork. And the great thing about that that's come to my mind is you could run a whole year, once a month, get together, like a book club. This could be a flower club that we've got started. Yeah, that's such a good idea. I've had people kind of request for a, a bouquet workshop, but it's broken up like that. Like once a month, you make a different element of it but I have yet to create that. We better get started and we can have a whole bouquet by Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely what yeah. we... I know if which one... I'm, 
I'm going to start. It's definitely the awkward. Awkward. The orchid. The orchid. Yes. Yeah. And you see that it's luxury and beauty. Yes. That's my flower. I'm there. Oh, that's that's oh, your no. brand. I'm going to yeah, be sunflower. Right. <laughs> I know you're going to be the yeah. sunflower. No hands. <laughs> so when we go back to your business, where do you see yourself five years, ten years from today? I went to a workshop the other day that was called Dream Day. So the goal was to just dream about things like this. And... In my mind's eye, I saw these massive flowers, like the size of a whole room, like 10 meters tall, on the roof of a museum or something like that. And I saw that it was created with me, but in remote communities or communities where they would benefit from some kind of income coming in. So I would love to extend this business into a social enterprise and actually give back and have an impact to communities in the production of big sculptures and artwork. But that's, I don't know what the time frame on that is. That's just something I would love to see happen. And that social impact, the way you described your events where I was imagining myself going into a pod and being surrounded by these amazing flowers, again, going with the charity work I've done, um, schools now are introducing benches where um, it's a friendship bench and if somebody's feeling sad they can sit down on that bench and other children um, are told if somebody's on that bench you go and make friends and can sit with that person you know you I could see this amazing flower pod of something that can be somewhere that you have that space. That is so sweet I think that's a real encapsulation of that feeling that connection that I I'm trying to achieve in the workshops, but a whole world for it in a dome or something like that. Were your flowers lost outside? Because you were talking on a roof. Was it inside or because I remember in Christmas time they did the sand castles and I was amazed how that sand castles could last for through the weather. Is there something with your flowers that you can do so it can last outside? I think I'd probably have to experiment with different materials. I'm not sure if the crepe paper will cut it because sometimes bright light causes it to fade and of course if there's water uh, it, it tends to disintegrate. So I might look into using recycled materials or discarded materials and then applying color to that to make them more weatherproof. When I look at your document that you sent back to us, you said that you want remote communities to get involved. Tell us what is your vision on that? Honestly, I don't have a specific community in mind right now. It could be within Australia. There are lots of remote communities in our backyard that don't have a lot of resources or um, a sustainable business impact. Because the people that I've been welcoming into this space of creativity have mostly been women, I think that's where my soft spot is to work with perhaps mums or women without um, without a livelihood of their own that they could come together and do something quite therapeutic, but also have a livelihood from it like I have found. So it's quite vague. I don't have a specific idea right now. It might be something back in Singapore where I'm from. I really don't know. That's what we need to pose to your business mentor next. Yes, I need to ask her that, yeah. <laughs> you are very well trained now in how to do any flower. 
I've seen you, somebody call a name of a flower out in the audience. You think a little bit and you just start making it, which was very impressive. How did you learn the skill? I am not someone who works very well from templates or books or videos. I just find that doing it is the best way for me to learn. So I found that there weren't a lot of templates online anyway for native Australian flowers like banksias and eucalyptus flowers and bottle brush. So I would just start by taking walks around my neighborhood or Kings Park and looking at what's there. Maybe doing some sketches to work out what is this shape, what what do the measurements look like. And then I'll start creating some prototypes and often the first three or five look really strange and I throw them out, but they slowly start to become refined enough that I can actually teach it. So it's a lot of experimenting and just having fun with it, not being too fixated that it has to look a certain way because often when I'm making it has its own, it has a mind of its own and it just decides to do its own thing. And then I, using that information, I change what I'm doing and it's like a partnership with the paper. So it teaches me what it wants to as well. Incredible. Incredible. It just absolutely take it to a different level. Yeah, it does its own thing. And I find that really freeing. It was scary at first, of course, but allowing it to show me things is, is where a lot of the learning happens. Well, well done on being self-taught and looking again at this flower. It's an a amazing art piece that you created and the fact that you can show others how to do it and they can take that skill on as well. How important is empowering for you? It is so important. I think education and learning skills is hugely empowering and it's, you know, that saying where you if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day, but you teach him how to fish and he eats his whole life. And I think that is really the key to a sustainable business where it's it might have been easy to pay someone to run it for me, but instead I've paid someone to show me how. And those skills can be applied to so many things, not just my business, but other parts of life as well. So I think mentorship is highly underrated there's no shame in admitting that i need help and support and people like you have gone through so much built your own business and you're not trying to make money of people who are not where you are you're actually just so generous and wanting to share your advice and your wisdom to people and i think it's a huge shame if women see each other as competition instead of a community when actually if we empower ourselves, we get to empower everyone else as well. And mentoring is always such a win-win scenario. Um, I just am enthralled about your creativity and your enthusiasm, and it's very fulfilling for me to listen to this. And we were talking earlier today about how we fill ourselves up, what we do to remain well, and your entire business is filling you up. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it does have the challenges, of course, but there's just nothing I would rather do mm. than what I'm doing at the moment. And it's going to be challenging and that balances the fun part. So share with us, what have some of the challenges been? I think some of the challenges have been that I think when when I'm when I was growing the business right from the beginning, it just felt so personal. Everything felt so personal. If I had a month with zero sales, I would 
my mental health would spiral. I'd feel like, oh my goodness, I'm just not good enough. Like no one wants to buy this, you know. Um, that was definitely something that I had to get over, the mindset that it's my whole identity. I think also I've been in a kind of culture where it feels bad to ask for money. It feels bad to ask people to buy your things. It feels like it feels greedy. It feels like people with money are shallow or selfish or something. And it's all, all these little um, words in my head of things that I subconsciously absorbed as a, as a younger person. So I think the biggest challenges has been getting through that kind of mindset block and working with coaches to show me that money is a good thing in the hands of people who want to do good. And it's really important to not feel ashamed of selling and actually believe in my, my services so much that it's not about me earning money. It's all about my customers. There's so much. We as business owner is our own struggle block to break through. Everybody else love it. Everybody else think you're amazing and know your work is good. But that's self-sabotage. It is a challenge as a business owner to wake up every morning, believe in your product, believe in your service and believe its value, the price you charge. Because we had talked about this earlier, when your mentor, your friend help you and he put the price up. Was that nervous racking for you to charge that for a paper flower? Yes, it was so, it was such a challenge. He told me to look at myself in the mirror and smile and practice saying my prices out loud to myself. And so I did that every single day before a workshop for at least four months because I was looking at my prices thinking, no one is going to pay that. No one's going to pay me to do that with them and just make a paper flower like it doesn't make sense. But the more I realized that it's not about me, it's not about how I feel, it's about what this person is getting out of it and making it the best possible experience that I can make it, then, and just repeating that, saying things out loud, that helped. And then I saw that people couldn't see what was going on inside and people were willing to pay because of the value they were getting out of it. And so over time, that confidence built where now I understand the value myself. Yeah, and listening to this, it's a therapy session. It's not a flower. The flower is the bonus that you get with it. And if you go to a therapist and you see what they charge and you don't even get a paper flower <laughs> to take home with you. So I want you to really zoom into that and remember this because there can be more healing in this workshop than a therapy session. Yeah, it might be cheaper than therapy, actually. It will be cheaper, <laughs> and different people have different needs. So I think it's amazing. I'm mind-blowing how beautiful you can make a flower look. And all sitting around this table, I can just see how you can incorporate with florists where they have the fresh flowers mixed with some of your flowers because for me the saddest thing is if you do get a bouquet and it goes off and there's nothing left I think we must watch this space it's gonna go to honestly next level yeah thank you it is beautiful that they last forever and you can keep that as a memory for perhaps how much you've grown, how brave you were to come to that workshop to try something new or give it to a friend and encourage them. A forever flower. Yeah. I yeah, love that. That's it. <laughs> it's not fast food. 
No. <laughs> Not like Maccas. So on that note, tell me what is your favorite Maccas treat? My favorite Maccas treat would be a filet of fish. I've had that ever since I was a kid and it's just so nostalgic. I'll order it with a side of small fries and a vanilla soft serve and an apple pie. That's my comfort meal. I love it. I never had one. A filet of fish Yeah. You need oh, to. <laughs> absolutely. At the flower workshop, yeah, we'll I will just supply fillet of fish. <laughs> there you go. That's what you're going to do. That would be the best workshop. <laughs> On that note, can you share with me, Annie and the listener, what is your favorite phrase? It's the concept called Ikigai. It's a Japanese concept and it combines what you're good at, what you love, what people need and what you can make money from in finding what you should do in life. If you'd like to know more about Carissa and Jota Book Flowers, you can find the detail in this episode's description. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I Believe in You. Thank you for listening to the I Believe in You podcast. If you're interested in being coached by Lizelle, we have a number of solutions available for you, no matter where you are in the world. You can find all the details for these and how to get in touch in this episode's description. This podcast is proudly sponsored by RAH McDonald's. It's more than Maccas, it's developing personal excellence for life. I Believe in You is produced by Bad Bard Productions.